Let me see your hand. How many of you don't? Okay, the altars are open now, so just come on. Come on. I, was, I actually got on the ball uh, this year, and I was out uh, at a department store, and I was shopping for my wife, and, and um, I got up to, the, to the, uh, the counter to check out. And I got to tell you, the lady that checked me out at the, at, the, at the register, she was really impressed with me. She's like, man, you are on the ball. She says, you wouldn't believe how many times on Christmas Eve, she said, we see all these guys, they come in, and they're just wide-eyed, just roaming the stores like this, wondering what they're going to do for their wives. So if you guys are, have got it done, more power to you. Fist bump, air fist bump, boom, there you go, amen. Listen, I am so grateful to get to be with you and share God's Word with you this morning, and I pray that this is going to encourage you and uh, uh, just, just minister life to where it is you need it ministered to today. So I want you to take your Bibles and stand with me one more time, okay? Let's go to Mark chapter 5, verse 22. Mark chapter 5, verse 22, and this is what it says. It says, then a local leader of the synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. And verse 24 says these four words, Jesus went with him. Jesus went with him. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject, what you need to know. What you need to know. Father, I want to thank you for your word today. I thank you that your presence is here. And I'm trusting you now to move Darren out of the way and move flesh out of the way. There's nothing that I can say or do, and I know this, that can impress or move anybody. But Holy Ghost of God, Almighty God, you can. And we trust you to move on us today. And we trust you to impress on us what it is you're saying to us today. I thank you for all you're about to do in these altars today. Encourage, save, deliver, heal, break people free today. And we thank you for all you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody says together, amen. 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 You can be seated. Jairus was, uh, if you think about it, Jairus was part of a religious system that totally rejected Jesus. Uh, I mean, he's part of the Pharisees, and everywhere that Jesus went, the Pharisees opposed him. And Jairus was a part of that group. That's who he was. And you think about this. Jairus saw Jesus do all kinds of things. He must have saw him cast out demons. I'm sure he saw Jesus restore a withered hand in the temple, in the synagogue, where, where he was, where he was a part of. But none of those miracles had ever moved this man. But when a life-threatening illness fell on his daughter, everything changed for him. I mean, think about the inner conflict that that Jairus must have gone through. If he goes to Jesus, he can be cut off from the temple. He can be ridiculed. He can lose his position of power. He can lose his position of influence. And, 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 you know, good, good preaching may not move some people. Miracles may not impress others. But there's something about grief and suffering that will get your attention. Uh, There's something about a dark night of the soul that makes you forget about what's not important and it makes you look at what is important. And in the case of Jairus, it's almost as if God was saying, I'm going to force upon you the opportunity to trust me and to believe on me. And Jairus never would have come to Jesus if that dark moment hadn't fallen on his own house. Now, we've all done this to some degree. All of us have had seasons of indifference. 
All of us have had seasons of neglect, and all of us have had seasons when you face a dark night in your soul. But I want you to notice what Jesus did not do here in this, in this Scripture. Jesus did not look at Jairus and say, you know, you should have come to me when you had the chance to believe me. You should have come to me when you saw the miracles. You should have believed right then. In spite of every one of Jairus' rejections, Verse 24 says it all, that when Jairus fell at the feet of Jesus, it says Jesus went with him. And look, I don't know what season you're in right now. Maybe you're in a season of confusion. Maybe you're in a season of indifference. Maybe you're in a season of being anxious or you're angry at something or somebody. But what you need to know is no matter what season you're in, when you hit your knees, He is with you. He's there. You can put your name in verse 24. Darren English fell at his feet, so Jesus went with him. Keith Ellis fell at his feet, so Jesus went with him. You can put your name there this morning. You see, we get this so backwards. Whenever we're in a dark season, we often think, man, I'm alone in this. I'm being punished for something. God is mad at me for what I've done. It was, uh, gosh, it was maybe about three months ago. I was in my garage. We've got one of those big rolling doors, of course, uh, in, in our barn. And I was doing some work in there. And when I was working, I noticed something was flying on top of the, on top of the barn there. This hummingbird. I love hummingbirds. This thing was just going in circles back and forth, back and forth. And in his mind, he was trapped in that barn. And, and I'm sitting there watching him just be just frantically going from one side to the other. And I thought, man, all this guy's got to do is just go down a little bit and he's free. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, if I shut this door on him, he's going to die in here. I mean, there's no food. He's, you know, he's not going to last too long. And so I'm thinking, well, what, what can I do to help this guy out? So uh, what I did is I took a broom. And I'm trying my best, and you can get the mental picture of this, or maybe don't, but I'm sitting there and I'm waving this broom around, and every time he comes at me, I'm jumping and I'm not, I'm not swatting to hit him, but I'm trying to redirect him. And what, what I did was kind of counterproductive because when he saw that broom coming, he just got more frantic. And so he thinks it's an attack. But it's not an attack at all. What I'm trying to do is redirect him because I know if he goes down a little bit, that's the key to his freedom. Look, how many times in our lives do we get stuck going in circles of worry or we go in circles of indifference or of sin and then all of a sudden the bottom falls out in your life? And then we think, my goodness, God's punishing me. Uh, God is angry at me. But it's not a punishment. What we think is, a, is anger is only God trying to redirect us because He loves us in order to get our attention. He makes us humble ourselves. He makes us go down and hit our knees because God knows when you hit your knees, that's where you're going to find Him. See, that's where strength begins. That's where freedom begins. That's where deliverance begins. And what you find out is this. What you need to know is this. In your need, He never left you. In your indifference, He's never left you. In your sin, He's never left you. In your anxiety, He's never left you. See, the problem has never been Him leaving us. It's always been us leaving Him. 
I, I remember reading the book, The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee was a Chinese martyr. And uh, he wrote one, of, that's one of the best books on the grace of God I've ever read. And he talks about in that book, he talks about the time when the Chinese were in a war with Japan. And he talks about in that book that the Japanese tanks were doing a lot of damage and, and they, there's no way that they could disarm those tanks, but they came up with a solution. And what they would do is they would spy one of these tanks, two Chinese marksmen, and one of them would just shoot at the tank. Bing! Of course, it's not going to penetrate the hull, but he would just keep shooting at it over several hours. Just every now and then, he'd just ping it to death. And what would happen is the guy inside the tank, he would keep hearing this noise, this ping, and it would start to mess with his mind. And so the, the object was, the, the, the goal was, is to get him to open up the hatch and take a look out to try to see where it's coming from because he thinks if I can find where this guy is, I can point my tank at him and take him out. But what he doesn't know is that a second sniper has got his sights set right on that hatch and as soon as it opens and he pops his head out, bang, he can take him out. And so see, that is always the goal of the enemy. The aim of the enemy is to get us out of the tank. You know what the tank is? It's the rest that God has given us in Christ Jesus. See, when we're inside trusting Him, we're safe. That's where we're held. That's where we're safe. That's where we're we're held together. That's where you don't go nuts worrying about what's going on in your valley. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 through 3 says this. It says, God's promise of entering His rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good, talking about Israel when they came out of Egypt, it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter His rest. As for others, God said, in my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since He made the world. Let me say it again. It's when we say, I'm trusting you for this, I'm leaning on you for this, I believe you for what I'm going through, that's when we're the safest. That's where you're held together. Here's what first, uh, first, uh, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says this. It says that Jesus existed before anything else and He holds all things together. Some of you know about this, but I want to share it because it's so appropriate here. There is a protein in our body called laminin. And what it is, it's what's called a cell adhesion protein. And what it does is it holds one cell of your body to the other. And it's the glue that holds you together. And without laminin proteins, you would literally physically fall apart and disintegrate. So that laminin is what holds you together. You got that picture up there? Flash that up there. I want to show you this. Isn't it crazy that a molecule, a laminin molecule, looks like what? It looks like a cross. It looks like the covenant God made with us. Listen to me, and don't, don't miss this today. You are physically held together by the cross. And in the same way, you are spiritually held together by the cross. You are mentally held together by the cross. You are emotionally held together by the cross. Our covenant with Jesus happened at the cross. Now, I'm not saying that you will never battle strong emotions. You will. We will. But we don't have to let anger win. We don't have to let fear win. We don't have to let indifference win. We don't have to let bitterness win. A lot of you, most of you in here, you know uh, Gretchen and I, we've got pretty much the similar, similar stories of how we were, of course, previously married before. 
And uh, uh, both of our spouses at the time, they, they left in, in adulterous relationships. And then we met each other. And of course, you know, we've got the mini Brady Bunch. She had the two girls and I've got the two boys. And so, uh, and they, they just are like peanut butter and jelly to this day. But back when Gretchen was raising two little girls on her own, it got tough sometimes. And she tells a story about how they were down to one box of macaroni and cheese in their cupboard. And, of course, you can just hear the enemy just getting in her head. What are you going to do? How are you going to make it work? You've got two kids to feed. And she could let fear win, or she could stay inside the tank. The rest that Jesus had already bought for her. And what she decided to do, she decided to stay in the rest of God. And this is what she did. She said, I got my box of mac and cheese. I've turned on some worship music, and I started praising God while I was making that mac and cheese. And we were going to eat that bowl of mac and cheese, and that's all we needed for that moment, and that's all we needed to worry about. I trust you. I mean, that's trust. And she said that while she's making that, Kennedy, our oldest daughter, who was about that high at the time, there's a knock on the door. She went and, uh, and answered the door. And she comes in and says, Mommy, there's this lady here at the door that wants to see you. And she went to this door and this lady that she doesn't know said, Ma'am, I know you don't know me, uh, and this may sound crazy, but, but God directed me to bring you these, basket, uh, these, these bags of groceries. And they started bringing in basket after basket, bag after bag of groceries. I want to tell you something. In your need, the cross will hold you together. In your fear, the cross will hold you together. In your anger, the cross will hold you together. In your worry, the cross will hold you together. Hey, what you need to know is that in the dark night of your soul, when you hit your knees, He is there and the cross will hold you together. Now look at this story. Right in the middle of all that's happening with Jairus, you know, this woman has just tugged on Jesus' clothes. Now we know who this woman is. This is the woman with the issue of blood. We know about her condition. We know she's been bleeding for 12 years. We know how she was healed. But let's not forget that she lived in weakness for 12 long years. And you can't tell me that at some point in this 12 years, most probably the latter part, At some point, she just didn't think in her mind, I have hit the wall, I've run out of options. I can't help but believe that she must have thought, my time is up. You ever thought that about yourself? Not just physically, but whatever situation you might be going through. My time is up. Time is up in this relationship. It is unsalvageable. Time is up for the unsaved loved one I've been praying for. There is nothing redeemable I can see in that life. Time is up for this debt that I'm facing. There's nothing more I can do. Time is up in my call. Time is up in my purpose. Time is up in my effectiveness. I'm never going to go any higher than what I've already been. Have you ever felt like your time is up? See, one of the amazing things about our God is that He isn't bound or limited by the constraints of time. He exists outside of time. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He knows the end from the beginning. He's the one who can restore the years the locusts have eaten. See, what you need to know is whatever dead end you might find yourself in, God is able to speak to it at any point in your timeline He chooses and still cause it to be redemptive over the entire course of your life. Let me demonstrate. 
A lot of you know this scripture, and I want to read this scripture to you. It's, it's uh, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2 through 4. It's the messianic prophecy about Jesus. But what I want to do, I want to read it from the literal Hebrew translation, okay? You might not see it this way in your Bible, but this is the way the Hebrew renders it. Here's verse 2. Listen to this. For he shall, that's future tense, grow up before him as a tender plant. Verse 3. He is present tense, despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has, past tense, borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Why all three tenses in the same passage? That doesn't make sense. That breaks the rules of grammar. But why in the world, describing Jesus, is he past, present, and future? Here's why. It's a message to us. It's a message that God, Jesus, is not bound by time. And what He does transcends time. It it, it means time is not a factor to Him. It means that nothing is beyond His reach to touch, and nothing is beyond His power to redeem. One of my favorite authors, Jonathan Kahn, he says it like this. He says, For the love of God is not bound by time. It is time that is bound by the love of God. And that's exactly what happened with Jairus. What happened with Jairus? A man came and said, Hey, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your time's run out. It's over. There's no more, there's no more need to bother him. And Jairus in that moment must have thought, My time is up. But what did Jesus do? Acting like they didn't even say anything. Hey, don't you fear. Only believe. Because I don't bow down to time. Time bows down to me. And in one moment, God redeemed all of His past pain. He gave joy to His present and gave Him hope for His future. See, God transcends time and what He can do for you in that moment. He did that in the, in the same way with the woman with the issue of blood. He transcended time. It was just this past November, last month, I was at a place in Athens and I was preaching. And this, this, this lady came up, precious lady came up, and she said, I can barely stand up here. She said, I've got pain all the way down the right side of my body. And she was dealing with a sciatic nerve. And she said, I, she said it's all I can do to just stand up here and have you pray for me. And so we, we anointed her with oil and we prayed over her and just, just rebuked that pain and that God would heal her body. And she, she said she went back and sat down. And when she sat down, she said, I felt something go from my foot, just run all the way up to my head. And that night, that night, I, we prayed for that morning, that night she came back up and she said, I want to tell you, I'm standing up here with no pain. She said, God has healed my body. God touched her in that moment. In that one act, God redeemed all that pain, gave her joy in that moment, and filled her future with hope. He did it for the woman with the issue of blood. He did it for Jairus. And folks, He'll do it for you too. You see, your time Timeline. Listen, look up here at this pulpit. This is your timeline right here. Right here is when you're born. Right here is when you die or when Jesus comes back. See, God lives outside of time. And in the radical grace of God, what you need to know is that every past, present, and future sin has been forgiven. Every past, present, and future need has been met. And every past, present, and future battle has been fought and won. So in your timeline, you may not be to your answer yet, but in God's eyes, it's finished. It's done. Every past, present, future need, sin, and battle is complete. It's finished. See, here's something important to remember when you're walking through your valley, when you're walking through your wilderness. The wilderness of Judea, 
The wilderness of Arabah and the wilderness of the Negev makes up more than half of what we call Israel. The wilderness is part of the promised land. And see, when you're in seasons you don't want to be in, you're not outside the boundaries of His purpose. You're not outside the boundaries of His promise. When you're in the wilderness, you're still inside the boundaries of the promised land. And see, it was part of the path for the children of Israel. The way they got to the promised land was through their wilderness. I don't like it any more than you do, but the wilderness is linked to answers. The wilderness is linked to breakthrough. The wilderness is linked to deliverance. The leak can't be broken. Where a wilderness is, a breakthrough is going to follow. Let me say that again. Where a wilderness is in your life, a breakthrough is going to follow. You're in the promised land when you're in the wilderness. Y'all know that scripture in Psalm 3 where it says, For you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. Now, I want to explain that to you, but I want to tell you a little story first. I might have told it here before. But something happened, uh, gosh, maybe it was last year. <clears throat> now, it wasn't a big tragedy, but it's just something like, something that, that just aggravates you. Y'all know, ever running, you've been out cutting the grass and you walked into a patch of gnats. Y'all ever done that? Now, they're not going to kill you. It's not the worst tragedy, but man, don't it aggravate you? You just, that's what this was. But God was teaching me something in it. I was traveling from Georgia. I just preached a revival in Mableton, Georgia. I was traveling back home. I just left. I'm on the interstate. And I noticed on my Lincoln, my battery light comes on. And I thought, well, what's that mean? I'm about as mechanically inclined as Tooth Fairy. I don't know. I mean, I just, I just, don't, I just don't know mechanics very well. I don't know how to change an oil. Maybe a little bit if I get help. Uh, I know how to put gas in the car. I'll say it that way. But I'm driving down the road, and I thought, what's this battery light mean? And so I called up my mechanic. He's a friend of mine. And I said, hey, this battery light has come on in my car. Is that serious? And he said, oh, me. Well, that's what you want to hear when you're four hours away from your house is, oh, me. And he said, well, what that means is, is that your, your, your alternator's probably gone, and you're just running on battery power. I said, well, have I got enough? Is that going to be enough to get me home? And he said, well, how far out are you? I said, about four hours. He said, oh, no. He said, uh, you're going to lose power in about 10 minutes. He said, your power steering is going to go out. Power brakes are going to go out. Your fuel injector is going to go down. He said, you better find a place to pull over and, and find a spot where you can get your car you know, to a place where they can look at it. And I'm thinking, oh, great. So sure enough, man, this thing starts bogging down. And I pull over to the side of the, free, you know, the, side of the interstate and... And I take a deep breath, and I'm like, okay, God, uh, the only thing I know to do is get my phone out and, uh, you know, call State Farm first, you know, like a good neighbor, right? And, you know, get them to bring a tow so I can find a place to have it towed. So I get out my phone, and I'm looking up State Farm. Now, this isn't a matter of just moments. And, and I, know, I hear this noise behind me, and I look up in my rearview mirror, and there's this truck with lights. And... And I, I looked around. This guy gets out. It's a Georgia Department of Transportation truck. And he said, hey, he said, I noticed you pulled over here. He said, can I help you? Well, thank you, Jesus. Okay. I told him what was going on. He said, well, let me check your alternator for you. I've got a battery charger that's mounted to the front of my truck. Okay. So I'll charge your battery. 
And he said, when I get it charged, he said, look down the road. You see that green sign down there? And it was maybe about 300 yards. I said, yeah. He said, right off that exit it's a place you can take your car. Okay. Thank you, Lord. So he charges this thing up. And he says, yep, your, your alternator's fried. Come and take a look at it. And man, it was sizzling. I could fry an egg on it. It was sizzling. So I thanked him for what he did, cranked it up, went to the, to the exit, pulled in. And it's a place where they fix semi-trucks. I'm thinking, okay, are they even going to have the part for a 2001 Lincoln town car? I pulled in, asked the guy if they had the part. Yeah, you know, I think we got one. Sure enough, they had a part. They had a part. Praise God. So we're sitting there chatting. He's, t- he's fixing it. I get to share with him about Jesus. We talk about the gospel. We get to pray together about some things. So God redeemed that. He gives me the bills, 250 bucks. Well, I'm an evangelist, you know. We, our budgets are, man, you, you can't go outside the budget, you know. So I'm thinking, all right, God, I've got this extra bill here, uh, you know, but I'm going to trust you to take care of it. And so I'm pulling out of the parking lot, and the phone rings. And it's the church secretary that I'm based out of, out of Florence First. She said, hey, Brother Darren. I said, hey, Pat, how are you? I'm doing great. Are you in town? Well, no, I'm on my way back in. Okay, well, I just want to let you know that a person came into the office today and they felt led to give to your ministry and there's a check here for $300. I want to tell you, God just took care of all of it. And in that, here's what God showed me out of that verse. Listen to this. I'm going to break it down for you. Psalm 3, 3. For you, O Lord, are a shield around me. In other words, God is saying, there's a circumference around you. I'm not only behind you and got your back, I'm ahead of you and before Before you even call, I know how to answer. I'm ready to help you before you even have a chance to call for it. Listen, your wilderness is linked to breakthrough. I'm your glory. You ever wonder what it meant when it says, He's my glory. God, you're my glory. You know what that word means? It's the word kavod, and it means weight. It means weight. And what it means is this. I am your weight. I am the one who anchors you. I'm the one who secures you. I'm the one who makes you a heavyweight. I'm the one who makes you a champion. I cause you to win. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says that He causes us to triumph in Christ. And then it says He's the lifter of my head. You know what I found out that means? It means to thrust high and quickly. And what I see in that is this. Like a boxer that wins the heavyweight champion title, what does he do with that belt? Puts it up. What happens when a sports team wins the national title? They take that trophy and that coach will lift it up. Now what happens is when you lift up the trophy, it gets everybody's attention. They're looking at the trophy, but the trophy doesn't get the glory. The one holding it up is the one that gets the glory. See, what you need to know is in your wilderness, it's linked to your answer. It's all a setup to show you that you can't lose when God causes you to conquer. God is saying, I'm going to thrust you high. I'm going to use your wilderness to show a watching world. You're a trophy of my grace, and I'm the champion of your life. Every past, present, and future wilderness in your timeline has been navigated. It's already been overcome. God, who lives outside of time, has declared over you, it is finished. That's what you need to know this morning. What you need to know is that every wilderness you walk in is personal to God. It's personal to Him. If you don't get anything I I say, you get this part. It's personal to God. 
When you look in the book of Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, John has been sent to the Isle of Patmos. We all know that. Patmos is a rock. Patmos is a wilderness. Patmos is a place where he is exiled alone because society has spit him out. They've washed their hands of him. It could not have been easy for John. He didn't know what was coming. He had no idea about a revelation of Jesus Christ. He knew Jesus, but he didn't, know, he didn't know what God was about to do and what was about to be shown to him. But, you know, but I love what happens first. Revelation 1.17, Jesus appears before John, and John said, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. Now let me ask you something. Of all the things that Jesus could have said to John, why did the first thing out of his mouth that he say was, I'm the first and the last? Why would he say that? I'm going to tell you why I believe he said that. I believe he was saying, John, I am Isaiah 53 to you. John, there is nothing you're going through that's beyond my power to redeem it right now. I am past, present, and future. I've got it all laid out. And I'm about to redeem it. And I love it says, He laid His right hand on me. A lot of you know this, but there's a significance about the right hand. There's a significance about the right side. In Luke chapter 1 verse 11, it talks about when Zechariah, the the father of John the Baptist, when he went in as the high priest that year into the Holy of Holies, nobody else could go in there, but once a year, we all know that. It says when he was in there, the angel of the Lord appeared on the right side of the altar. And it says that he was terrified. Well, there's good reason to be terrified. Because according to Jewish tradition, if an angel appeared on the left side of the altar, it meant a word or a judgment for the house of Israel. But if one were to appear on the right side of the altar, it meant a word or a judgment that was personal to the high priest himself. So when he sees him, the angel on the right side, he takes a big gulp and says, Oh my goodness, God is about to speak to me. But what God gave him was good news. It was personal. And see, Jesus was telling John, when He laid His right hand on him, I believe He was saying, John, your wilderness is personal to me. The world is isolated, abandoned, and rejected John. But when the world walked out, Jesus walked in. When the world wouldn't touch him, Jesus touched him. When when the world closed off, Jesus opened up and gave John the most detailed prophetic vision of all Scripture and in history. It was personal to God. This past year I was in Kentucky. I was preaching a revival there. And one night after the service, we went to Subway. And got in the line, and there was a lady there, that she, the, the one that was going to make my sandwich. And, and uh, as I was just telling her what I wanted, I just felt God move on my heart just toward her uh, just to say something to her. But I didn't do it right then. We got our sandwich and everything, and, and we sat and we ate. And... God, I went to the restroom and I thought, you know, when I come out, I'm just going to ask this lady if I could just pray with her somehow. So I came out and she had come out from behind the counter and I just walked up to this lady. Her name was Jamie. I said, hey, Jamie, I just want to ask you a question. Is there any way I can pray for you today? And man, she just took a deep breath and she said, you know what? She said, you may not believe this, but I was about to come up to you and ask you to pray for me. Before you call, I'll answer. And she began to tell me her story about how she said, the reason I am here 
and I've moved here is because I'm trying to get out. He said, I've gotten away from a man that was very abusive to me. She had been kidnapped. She said, and I, I got away, and she said, I was shot at, but thank God the bullet missed me. She said, I was able to hide and get away from this man. And now she said, I'm, I'm trying to get a new start here. I feel overwhelmed. I've got kids. And I said, I just want you to know that Jesus, He wants you to know He loves you right where you are. He's still got a purpose for you. There's still a future for you. There's still hope for you. And we prayed together there in that subway, and she got everything right with Jesus. She, she just broke down and melted, and God touched her. And while we were doing that, a friend of hers named Christy came in. She sat in the booth, and she's watching all of this. And the pastor and his wife and me, we're about to walk out, and we just start talking with her. And she said, I need some of that too. She said, I've been going through the same thing with my family. I feel stressed out. I got a lot of debt. And and we just laid hands on her and prayed over her and God just melted her and we just had Holy Ghost right there in Subway. I want to tell you, the thing about it is this. In that one moment when the world spits you out, Jesus takes you in. And see, before those girls could even ask for prayer, Jesus let them know, your wilderness is personal to me. And in one moment, He healed their past, brought joy to their present, and brought hope to their future. Listen, what you need to know is that nothing in your timeline is beyond the reach and redemption redemption of the love and grace and mercy of God. What if my battle's been long? That's a very real place to be. What if it's been long? I'm talking long. Well, let's go to Scripture one more time. I want to read you a Scripture. It's Genesis 42-36, but before I read it, I want to put it in context. Jacob is talking in this Scripture. Now let me tell you what's happened. Joseph, that's in the line of the story of Joseph. Story of Joseph in a nutshell. Joseph's got the coat of many colors. His other brothers hate him. They're jealous of Joseph. What do they do? They sell Joseph into slavery. Joseph goes to Potiphar's house. He's been accused of something he doesn't do. He's put in prison for two years. And then finally he's elevated to Pharaoh's palace and is the governor of Egypt. Now we know all of this. But from the time that Jacob last saw Joseph, until the time he would see him again, or the time that this scripture is, was, is spoken, 22 years. How many of you know that's a long time to have to deal with something? 22 years. Now, what's happened is Joseph's brothers have come to Egypt to buy food because of the famine. They don't know it's Joseph, but Joseph knows it's them. And so Joseph is testing. His brothers, the brother, he asked them about their lives. He's asking them what's going on. And he says, well, we're, 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 all, we're all brothers. And he says, one of our brothers is no longer with us. And our youngest brother, Benjamin, he's still with his father. And Joseph goes, hmm, I wonder if that's true. And number two, I wonder if their hearts have changed. They sold me out to slavery. What will they do to my younger brothers? So he gives, them, he, he gives them an ultimatum. You either bring Benjamin back to me and prove to me that your story is true, or I'm going to keep one of your brothers in prison until you get back. So they take Simeon and puts him in prison. Y'all with me so far? And so they go back home, and Jacob's already said, you're not getting Benjamin. He's the last son of my youth. You're not about to touch him. But when the food runs out, and Jacob says, you need to go back to Egypt and buy food. The brothers insist, look, we've already been told we're not even going to see the man's face unless we take Benjamin with us. And then Jacob, in his despair, cries out in Genesis 42, 36. He, ex he ex cries out. He says, you are robbing me of my children. Joseph is gone. And everything is against me. 
Think about what he said here. You've robbed me of everything. Joseph is gone. There is no hope. I will never see him again. Everything is against me. There's no way that this can be redeemed. It's important right here to understand what the name Joseph means in Hebrew. It means he will add. It means he will increase. It means he will do it again. Isn't that just kind of a paradox there? It doesn't look like God's adding anything. Think of this. 22 years, Joseph thought, my increase is dead and gone. The days of God adding to me are over. My best is behind me. I'll never see those days again. But the fact was, every day during those 22 years, when Joseph, when Jacob thought Joseph was gone, 22 years, God's increase was slowly moving its way into position. Every single day. It was being drugged into Egypt. It was being elevated to Potiphar's house for a season. Joseph's dead. He's never coming back. I'll never see those days again. He's being elevated. Then he goes down into that promise, that increase goes down into a prison. Y'all know that chorus or that where a part of it says, even though I don't see you, you're working. Even though I don't feel you, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. That's true of Jacob's life. Even though I didn't see him, he was working. Even though I didn't feel him, he was working. He never stopped. He never stopped working. Until finally that provision made it all the way to Pharaoh's palace. He's governor of all of Egypt. 22 years, it was moving his way all the way to Pharaoh's palace. See, God's master plan to add on was working, not only to bless Jacob, but the entire world. And in the end, not only did God do it again, but He added and increased Jacob beyond his wildest dreams. In Genesis 48-11, when Jacob finally did lay eyes on his son, after 22 years of believing he's gone, he said, I never thought I would see your face again, but now now God has let me see your children too. See, what you need to know this morning is when you think God's plans and promises for you are dead, they are still at work for you behind the scenes, moving into place to bring you increased favor and a good and an expected end. Jacob's pain was personal to God. And the God who transcends time in one moment redeemed every bit of his past pain, brought joy to his present, and put hope in his future. That's what you need to know this morning. Your wilderness is part of your answer. Every past, present, and future wilderness, pain, sin, need, and battle has been fought one provided for, and forgiven. That's good news. It's a couple of years ago. I may have shared this here before, but we had a man come and speak at Florence First. I was home that Sunday. And his name was Mark Carell. And Mark told the story about how his mother, he tried to win her to Jesus for 37 years. That's a long time to have to battle and pray for somebody. 37 years. And he said, I almost gave up so many times, but my wife would encourage me just to keep praying, keep believing. And he said, I do that. 
And instead of one for her, I would have given up. He said, but in the course of praying for her, he said, she came down with Alzheimer's. She got to the place she didn't know anybody. He said, every time I'd try to speak to her over the years, she'd shut me down, and now she's got Alzheimer's, and now she's at the place she doesn't know who I am, she doesn't know who her own kids are. My time is up. Been there? My time is up. And he said, but he continued to pray, believing, God, you're still able. So he's out preaching and doing what he's called to do, and he gets a phone call from his sister, and he said, Mark, you got to get home. He said, Mom, all of a sudden, she's lucid. She knows everybody. She knows everything. She knows who I am. She knows she's asking about you. you got to come see her now. We don't know how long it's going to last. So he got over to the house and walked in the door, and his mom was sitting there. And he said, my mom looked at me and said, Hello, Mark. How are you, and how are the kids? He said, I went up to her, and I knelt down in front of her, and I said, Mom, the kids are fine, and I'm doing great. He said, but I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you about Jesus. And she said, I know you do. And I want you to know I'm ready to accept him. (laughs) And he led his mother to Jesus after 37 years. And just a few weeks later, she went home to be with the Lord. God exists outside of time. And in one moment, he's able to redeem every past pain. He's he's, he's able to put joy in your present and He's able to put hope in your future. What you need to know. What you need to know is every time you fall at His feet, He's with you. What you need to know in your sickness, in your frustration, in your worry, in your sin, in your doubt, in your indifference, is He still with you? Nothing is beyond His redemption. Time is not a factor to Him. It is finished. Your wilderness is connected to your answers. He's your weight. He's the lifter of your head. It's personal to God and His promise to add, increase, and do again isn't dead. It's still working for you to give you a good and an expected end. I want you to close your eyes with me for a second.